Peak. Great to see you. So good to see you. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And uh, if we haven't met, uh, looking forward to, to meeting you. Uh, so glad to be with you, whether it's inside the worship center here or those of you joining us out on our patio. But we are going to be going in our time of teaching. And I, I was checking out this week. You know, this is, uh, Stray mentioned the final message. It's also number 56, like message number 56. So I'm just curious, how many of you were here um, like attending Rocky Peak when we started this series? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, okay. How many of you weren't here at Rocky Peak when we started this series? I see all those heads, yeah, that's good. Last hour I asked it a little differently. I asked it, I was like, how many were here that day and, uh, or weren't here that day? And you could see like, they weren't sure where, the, where I was going with this. I was going to call them out for missing church that day or something. So I asked a little differently. But anyway, so good to be with you. And uh, we're going to go into uh, our time of teaching right now. So if it's your first time, a special welcome. But also inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out and help you follow along uh, in this uh, final um, Amazing message, right? <laughs> there we go. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you'd be with us today. And we're just so thankful for your Holy Spirit that, that makes your word come alive. And Lord, we know that without his work in our life, that this just remains sort of a dull letter uh, in, in a book. Uh, there's been a long time ago, but when you, when you breathe your life into it, Lord, as you breathe these scriptures originally, that it just comes alive. It speaks to us in a powerful way. And so as we come today, Lord, we, we look at this amazing epilogue. We pray that you'd just be with us. Uh, I pray that you'd, you'd be with me and that my speech would be clear, the message would be clear, head would be clear. I just pray for us as a church, as we gather around your word, that you would make it come alive to us. So we would really be, uh, hear, hear you speaking our name, our voice uh, calling to us uh, through it. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today uh, on a, a chilly spring morning, and uh, they've actually been up for hours. Um, they, they got up last night in the middle of the night, came to this location, the agreed time and place to, uh, to start this, this project together. And uh, so by the time that the, the sun is now coming up over the eastern hills and eastern mountains, they're, they're working hard. In fact, Though they're working outside, and though it's a, a chilly spring morning, um, they, they're all kind of stripped down so they can just work freely. Uh, they're all sweating hard. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, it happened. Um, that's when it happened. Right in the middle of their work, uh, they heard a, a voice coming from the shadows in the distance, maybe 100 yards away. Someone was shouting to them, asking them a question. And uh, honestly, it took them totally by surprise when no one else was up yet, no one else around. But someone finally decided to better answer him back. So he, he stood up, he cupped his hands, yelled the answer back. Little did they know, that was the start of a conversation that was going to change all their lives and especially the lives of two of these men, forever. Well, today, we're coming to the end of this three-part series that we've been in. This current series is called Signs, A Path to Glory. It's part of a, a, larger, uh, a larger series called Signs. And for those of you who are brand new, <coughs> this, is a, this, this whole series has been an in-depth look at the life <coughs> and the teaching of Jesus. 
uh, as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man that we call John or the Apostle John. And so if you've been with us uh, in this series, like last week, we watched as John starting to wrap up this amazing uh, story by, by sharing his personal experience that first day that Jesus rose from the, the grave, that first Easter weekend. And if you were here last week when we, we went over John chapter 20, you, you saw that he, he related to us not only this first time that all his disciples saw him that first evening, but also when he came back a week later and appeared to all of them when Thomas was there. And if you were here last week, uh, you know that it, it really felt like in chapters, we come to the end of chapter 20, it feels like John's wrapping it up, like, like you expect to turn the page and say, the end. Uh, that he, he, remember how he wrapped it up by saying, hey, there's many, thing, many more signs, supernatural signs, uh, especially the resurrection, but there are many more supernatural signs that Jesus did <clears throat> while we were with him. But I've shared these to bring you to the conclusion, hopefully to help you step over the line between disbelief to belief, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the son of God, and that by listening and following him in your life, that you'll experience the new life that he came to bring, both this life and the next. <coughs> Sorry, I ate like a protein bar before I came here. Um, it's always a mistake, but I was starving. Was like, you know. And we got water, right? It's like, I didn't even have my tea. Um, I know, yeah. I obviously, use the Saturday night version. Um, but anyway, so, you know, so he kind of, he, he makes this big statement that this is why I wrote this and hopefully come to this point. And, and so it really feels like it's wrapping it up. But then you turn the page and we got one more chapter to go. And, and so what I'm calling this final chapter is uh, this final message I'm calling the epilogue. And if you've ever read, read like maybe a modern novel that has an epilogue, you kind of get this. It's like a uh, if you're, you're reading a big novel, you come to the end of it, the main storyline's done. The, the, it's all the loose ends that kind of been brought together. Um, but maybe the author wants to share, hey, what happened next? Like, what happened down the line in the future as a result of this main story that I've told you? What are some key events happen in the life of these characters that we've come to love and wonder what their future is going to hold? And so often there'll be an epilogue that kind of jumps ahead and, and gives you, hey, here's some, the rest of the story. Well, in a sense, that's what we have this week. As John is going to share one of my favorite post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. It's a kind of uh, it's a third major one that, that G, uh, John's going to share with us, um, and, and the way it impacts the lives of two of the leaders of that movement uh, for the rest of their life. So, if you have your Bibles, you have your apps. Let's open up, turn on there in your note sheet. You have a section called Signs, the Epilogue. Now my microphone's falling off. I also took a nap between services. <laughs> I feel better. I know everything's falling apart, but I actually feel much better. Um, so there, you know, you have a section of signs, the epilogue, and, and we'll open up to John chapter uh, 21, and we're going to cover the whole thing again. Uh, so uh, afterward, so after what? After these last two resurrection appearances uh, that he had just recorded in chapter 20 on that first Sunday uh, of the resurrection, and then a week later, he says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples uh, by the Sea of Galilee. So notice this, they're no longer in the south. You know, the, the last two appearances were in Jerusalem. We've got a long journey, maybe a week journey, uh, depending on how fast you go back to the north of the country, where they're all from, from the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus started there. They kind of met Jesus. He first called them to follow him and so on. 
And so uh, we're, we're now back in the north, it's, and, and we're somewhere between eight days. Remember, the, uh, John 20 ended on the eighth day, uh, kind of the second Sunday after the resurrection. Uh, and we know after 40 days, he's returning to the Father. So we're somewhere probably in that maybe 15, approximately 15 days to, you know, 15, 20, 30 days, somewhere in there. And so, uh, so he's going to record this. He says it happened this way. So he says there were seven of us. Uh, so Simon Peter uh, was first. Thomas we met last week, whose name was Didymus, uh, named twin. And Nathaniel. You remember Nathaniel from Cana? We met him way back in chapter one, back in uh, January of 2021. <laughs> um, yeah, he was the one that when he first met Jesus, he said, or he first heard about Jesus, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So um, the answer is yes. And so there were also the sons of Zebedee. So that's James and John, uh, the two brothers. Of course, John is our author and characteristically doesn't mention himself. And there's a couple other guys that are not important enough to mention. Two other disciples were there too. Okay. So at this point, uh, so the story starts that uh, Peter says, I'm, I'm going to go out fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they, they go out, they got in the boat, but that, what's the next word? But that what? That night. So some of you will know this, but others of you won't, that when they fish the Sea of Galilee, they normally fish it at night. And the reason is, is that during the, the night, the, warm, the warmer water uh, goes to the top of the surface of the lake. And the fish like that. They follow the warm water. And then on top of that, if you fish at night, they can't see as well to see the nets. And so usually they would fish at night. So maybe you go out three, four in the morning, uh, and you're going to fish till early morning. So that, that's what happened. They've gone out. It's the middle of the night, they, they've, uh, but it's, it's been very unsuccessful. They haven't caught a thing. They're working hard. So, so this takes us back to the story we started the day with. Uh, kind of this is my version. These guys, uh, they, they get up in the middle of the night. They're going to go out to work together on this project, this uh, kind of assigned time and place. Uh, they get there. They're working hard. They're sweating. So even though it's a cool spring morning, um, they, they're, they're going to kind of strip down so they can work freely. And, uh, and, and, and so they've been working for a long time, and the sun is now starting to come up over the eastern, uh, kind of the, the, the Golan Heights, for those of you who've been here, kind of picture that. And, uh, and they're, they're out in the water. They're about 100 yards out in the water, we're going to learn later. And all of a sudden, in this early morning hour, they hear a voice. Hey! And uh, they're going to be surprised, right? Because, uh, you know, no one's up kind of working this time, uh, on walking the beach. And, uh, and so they're going to look to the beach, and in the distance, they, they can't make out who it is. It's just a shadowy figure, whether they don't recognize it because it's just still kind of dark, or whether they don't recognize because, as we've seen last week, that Jesus' new body, this new body he has, is both similar and different. And even his closest friends sometimes take a while to, like, dial it in, like, oh, it's Jesus. We're not sure which, but, but they, they hear, you know, this from the darkness, the shadow, they hear this Hey, and that he's asking a question. And the question is, in, in the Greek, it goes like this. You haven't caught anything yet, have you? For those of us who are fishermen, that is really irritating, you know? Um, and, and so, you know, they're shocked. They don't know who this guy is. And so I'm sure one of them is going to stand up and yell back, no. And... Uh, and so the voice comes from the beach, uh, try the other side, put it down on the right side. Now, why they listen to a stranger at the beach early in the morning, I have no idea. 
but uh, let's see what happens. So, uh, in, in the end of verse 3, uh, that night they caught nothing. Frustrating night, but early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. We'll see in a minute. He's like a football field away. And uh, he calls out, and in the Greek, he doesn't say friends. He actually says children. Children, have you, you haven't caught anything, have you? That's the way it should be here. And uh, they said, well, no. And he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And again, why they did this, I don't know. But they did. And when they did, and the moment they let that, those nets out, a huge school of fish, big fish, slams into that net. And they just feel it go taut. They're just all, this jerk. And um, we're going to find out later, there were 153 large fish. And so you say, how do you know this is a true story? Because only fishermen would count, right? Like, like if it were me, I would have said there was a ton. Um, but they're going to count them later because uh, they're so blown away that this is so big. And, and, and so they're going to count them. But anyway, they don't know that yet. All they know is this huge hit. And when that hits, it triggers John's mind. Very likely, I think he's reminding an event that was just like this that happened about two and a half years later on this same sea uh, that's, uh, that's described in Luke chapter five. It's, it's like when they were first getting to know Jesus. But for whatever reason, just like last week when John went into the tomb and then it all clicked, exactly when those fish hit, John like, wait a second. And he looks back and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And of course, they haven't seen him. We don't know for how long. And who knows, he's going to disappear again, you know. So Peter is so excited. Like he's so freaked out by this. He's going to throw his clothes back. I remember that he had been stripped down. He's going to throw his clothes back. He's going to jump in the water to swim 100 yards ashore. Now, I don't know if you've ever, I've never probably swam 100 yards. Some of you are like great swimmers. I'm not. But just swimming 100 yards, not easy. But now swim in your clothes, like heavy clothes and water. And remember, it's springtime in Galilee. This is chilly. We were just there a few weeks ago. It's cold in the morning. The water is cold. But Peter, is, he just can't wait to get to Jesus. We'll see why, I think, later on. But anyway, so, so he's going to jump in the water. The rest of them, they, the fish are too heavy to pull. They just can't even get them on. So they, well, let's just kind of, let's just tow them to shore. And when we get to shore, we're out of land. We'll be able to pull them up. So in, uh, in verse um, 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, of course, that's, that's John, he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter hears him say, it's the Lord, he wraps on his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumps in the water. And the other disciples, they followed in the boat. So it's going to take a while, towing the, the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, with about 100 yards. So when they land, uh, they, as they're, they're getting to shore, it turns out Jesus is already making breakfast for them, which is really cool. So when they land, they see a fire of burning coals. In the Greek, it says charcoal. So it's like a charcoal barbecue. And uh, they've got some, and Jesus already has some fish and bread going on it. Where he got it, I don't know. And so on uh, verse 10, Jesus said, hey, there's a lot of us here. Uh, bring some more fish. 
And so Simon Peter in verse 11 is going to go, he's going to climb back in the boat. He's going to drag the net ashore. And so we don't know whether, you know, John means he just did this by himself. But if so, this is a pretty impressive feat of strength. Very heavy, 153 fish. I'm sure he's very buff. His uh, guns are showing. And uh, he's like, oh, I got this. And, uh, and so, uh, but, what, but notice it was full of... Uh, it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, uncharacteristically, I mean, this should not be the case, but the net was not torn. And so Jesus said, hey, let's, let's have some breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So you see this kind of weird thing where he's both similar and different. And so Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. And it was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Not that he hadn't seen anyone else. We know it from the other gospels, but this was the third time like John is documenting when he's there, they're all together, all right? So they're gonna have this meal. Now after this meal, there's gonna be amazing conversation that's gonna take place between Peter and Jesus. And I want you to remember this. They have some major unfinished business in their life. Remember that we're only maybe three weeks, four weeks for sure. We know it's after, probably after two weeks, before 40 days when Jesus sent. Just a, a few weeks ago, Peter had the, the biggest failure of his life. So I want to take you back to that. Remember back in John chapter 13, where uh, it's the last night Jesus is with his men before he's arrested. And he says to them, I'm leaving, and where you're going, you can't follow. And you remember, Peter said, why can't I follow? I will follow you anywhere. I'm ready to die for you. And uh, we know from the other gospels that all the other disciples jumped and said, yeah, me too. And, and, and Peter says, even if the rest of these guys leave you, I will never leave you. And then you remember that Jesus predicted, actually, Peter, tonight before before it's over, you're going to disown me, any relationship with me. And not only you're not gonna go with me, you're gonna disassociate completely from me. And not once, but three times. Right? Now, it would seem from this conversation that's about to take place that Jesus and Peter have not had a chance to process that night. We know it was the worst night of Peter's life. I mean, you remember from one of the other gospels, there's one point in his trial where, where Jesus turns around, early, one of the early trials, he turns around and he locks eyes with Peter in the distance. And we're told that after that, that Peter went out and just wept bitterly. And so they've never had a chance to connect. They've never had a chance to have this one-on-one. -on -one. And it's time for that conversation to happen. I, I really believe this is why Peter jumped in the water. He, he was so hungry to get to Jesus. He was so afraid he might disappear. Like, he, he somehow needs to know that in spite of their failure, their relationship is okay. He's, he's probably full of fear. And uh, so after they have this breakfast, uh, it would appear that Jesus is going to invite Peter to go on a one-on-one -on -one walk down the beach. It, it doesn't give us all the details, but at the end of the conversation, we'll see they are walking down the beach. So whether it started at the fire with the other guys there, and then he said, let's, pick, let's, let's take the rest of it down, I don't know. 
But uh, they're going to have this conversation. Now, this is very important. For those of you who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, for those of you who have read John 21 before, for those of you we could stop right now and you say, I know what Jesus is going to ask him. I have a special plea for you. I want you to forget what you know. And I want you to see this conversation not through your 21st century eyes, looking back and knowing how it's going to end. I want you to see it with first century eyes through Peter's eyes who has no idea where this conversation is going. Because if we're going to understand it from Peter's point of view, we have to go back as if we've never heard it. We don't know where this conversation is going. So when they finish eating, verse 15, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, (laughs) sounding pretty formal, isn't it? Uh, Do you remember when your mother used to use her full name? (laughs) Yeah. Pay attention to that, all right? Pay attention to to how he addresses him throughout this conversation and remember it for later. So when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter had said, even if everyone else I will never leave. Do, do you really love me? Do you, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. And he says, well, then I want you to feed my lambs. Remember back in John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who will lay down my life for the sheep. I've come they might have life, have it more abundantly. This, uh, this metaphor of sheep and flocks and shepherds uh, is a common one. Uh, of common uh, way to speak of leadership. And so, I can't believe this. Potential spam. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it's the last message. We're getting it all in, one message. Right and so he says, feed my lambs. In other words, like, uh, kind of lead my movement. And, um, and I, I want you to picture yourself. If you're Peter... And you have failed Jesus, and you've denied him, not once, but three times. And if Jesus has said throughout his ministry many times, anyone who denies me, I'll deny him before my Father in heaven, you've got to be wondering if you still have a job. And yet Jesus is going on as if nothing has happened. Peter, feed my lambs. And if I'm Peter, I think I'm thinking, maybe we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> you know, have you, have you ever had a relationship where you really screwed up in a major way and then you, the next time you see them and you just kind of hope you just don't have to go over that again? You just kind of, maybe they just won't say anything. Maybe we just kind of pick up and go on, you know, like it never happened. This has got to be running through Peter's mind. And so Jesus asks him a second time in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And remember, Peter doesn't know where this conversation is going. And he says, yes, Lord, you, you, you know I, I love you. I mean, you know, I mean, he just jumped in the water and swam like he loves Jesus. And a second time, Jesus commissions him. Well, then I want you to uh, take care of my sheep. 
But it's the third time that all of a sudden, Peter gets it. He understands where this conversation is going. He's asking what Jesus, he's understanding what Jesus is asking. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he asked him a third time, do you love me? If it's not been clear where this conversation is going, it's suddenly gotten very clear for Peter. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. That on that cold night by a charcoal fire, three times he had denied him. And this morning, by a charcoal fire, at least at the beginning, three times, do you love me? And the most gentlest way possible Jesus is taking him back to that faithful night. He's making him face the failure. And it hurts Peter. But as we're going to see today, he's not trying to hurt Peter. But he only knows that if he wants to heal him, he's going to have to hurt him. For the splinter to be removed, this has to happen. This conversation, we, we can't go on, Peter, as if this never happened. We need to face it. We have a conversation. And so the third time, he asked him, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? One thing Peter's learned in the last month is that Jesus knows him better than he knows himself. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Right? So now, Jesus knows what Peter did. Peter knows that Jesus knows we're facing this together. But in, in, in light of this, he's gonna change the topic now. Jesus is gonna... Is, is gonna change the topic from talking about Peter's past to Peter's future. And so he gives this very cryptic prophecy about Peter. We'll talk about this more later. But after his third commissioning or recommissioning, he says, verse 18, very truly I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted. You kind of ran your own life. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you, you don't want to go. Now remember, John is writing this 50 years after this event. <laughs> and so John looks back, he says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus looks at Peter after taking him to his past and projecting and prophesying over his future, he looks him in the eye to talk about his present. And he says, follow me. Wow. Can you imagine being Peter there on this, the shores of the Sea of Galilee where two and a half years ago, when they were first getting to know Jesus, it said, Peter, follow me. 
and in between has been the greatest failure of his life. But now for the first time in his life, he finally understands what it's actually gonna cost to follow Jesus. It's funny how this works, right, in our life, how sometimes we're following Jesus and we think we understand what it means and then we turn a corner and the price tag goes up. We have to have another conversation with Jesus. And he has to invite us, now follow me. And so, about this time, they're having this conversation, Peter turns and he sees that the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John, was following them, right? So they're, they're walking. This is where I said earlier, they appear to be walking down the beach. And so John just puts in this editorial comment, he says, by the way, uh, this is the same guy <laughs> who would lean back against Jesus at the Last Supper and it said, Lord, who's going to betray you, right? Another time when it was, comp- by the way, another time, remember, it was Peter that caught John's eye. Who's he talking about? And now Peter and John walking again. And so Peter turns, he sees John behind him, and he says in verse 21 that when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? <laughs> What's gonna be his future? And Jesus said, you know what, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? Follow me. It's a great reminder that we're all called to live out our own story, not someone else's. And uh, John says, because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that this disciple, John, would not die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Remember, John's writing this at the end of his life. He's getting old. He's getting close to death. And there's this rumor going around that Jesus is going to come back before he dies. He's like, hey, before I end this uh, little story here, let's wrap that up. That's not what he said. It's very it's very reassuring to me that even in the early church, there'd be rumors. <laughs> False rumors. Uh, verse 24. So John is now going to go back into third person, it would seem. Uh, I don't know if you remember, back, back in night, John chapter 19, when Jesus had just died and they put the spear in his side, certified by the Roman guard he was dead. Do you remember... John went to third person. He said, this is the man who testifies to these things. He seems to be doing a similar thing here. So if you go back to the beginning of this gospel, John starts by making these amazing claims about who Jesus is. And then, and then he kind of takes the witness stand as someone who is there. And for this whole gospel, he's been sharing with us his firsthand evidence of the life and teaching of Jesus with special emphasis on these seven supernatural signs that reveal who Jesus is. And of course, most emphasis on the ultimate sign. We looked at last week, the resurrection, right? And so he's, he's been on the witness stand, so to speak. And, and before he, he finishes this gospel, it's almost like he wants to stand up and say again, hey, just before I get off the witness stand, I, I'm telling you, I, I've told the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And so at the very end of this gospel, he says, this is, the go- this is the disciple, verse 24, that testifies, notice that courtroom language, testifies to these things and wrote them down. 
And then and there's a sense we know that his testimony is true. And so whether John is using the editorial we uh, or whether these are other associates of his saying, hey, we're testifying to, to John's testimony, it's not clear. But uh, it wraps up by saying Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so John says, hey, I've been very selective in what I've shared with you. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we read the Gospels, we're just kind of very, uh, just kind of uh, skimming the surface of the life of Jesus. But as John said last week in John 20, he said there, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. But I've shared these to help you cross over the line between disbelief to belief, do you follow Jesus and have life? And so that's why the Gospels are given to us, to give us the information we need to come into this personal relationship with Jesus, to follow him and experience the life that he came to bring us. And with that, uh, John ends this amazing account of the life and teaching of Jesus. Now, what I want to do today as we wrap up this series is I want to highlight just two really important, profound principles that flow out of this epilogue, but also the entire gospel, that we, as we kind of wrap this up and take these with us as we move into our future uh, and our own lives as a church. So there in your note sheet, I just want to highlight two important things that flow out of this passage uh, there in your notes, a section called Signs, the, the Principles. And the first one goes like this, that uh, failure isn't final. That, that failure isn't final, which is such a profound lesson that flows out of this life of Peter. But, you know, we, we've seen this throughout this gospel. You know, here at Rocky Peak, that one of the things that we'll often say is that Jesus always cares more where we're going than where we've come from. And it really flows out, that saying flows out of the life and teaching of Jesus. You see this all the time. He doesn't care what people have done, where they've come from. He cares about where they're going. We, we saw this, for example, in John chapter four in the illustration or the, the story about the, the, the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. And you, you remember she had a, a, a storied past. I mean, she, she'd been married five times, currently living with a man in a, in a, a culture that's extremely uh, kind of uh, conservative when it comes to marriage and, and, uh, and sexuality. And so, um, but, but you remember that when Jesus met her, though he knew this past, he, he, he just blows by that and he offers her this amazing gift of new life, of living water. But you remember at the point at which she, uh, she, she bites, he's gonna, he's gonna take it uh, a little further. We'll talk more about that later. But the point is, we've seen this, that Jesus doesn't care about her past. He, he wants to give her this new future. We saw it in John chapter eight, that, that incident where uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Early in the morning, they bring that woman caught in the very act of adultery, like drug out of her bed, brought before Jesus. What do we do? The loss is stoned, or what do you say? And remember, Jesus ends up dismissing the crowd. And when he's with this poor woman who's humiliated there, caught right in the act of her sin, he says, woman, where are those who condemn you? And she said, there, there are no one. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. We, we see this in the life of Jesus, whether it's this gospel or the others, that he always cares more where we're going than where we've been, that our, our past failures don't have to define our future, but we see it today highlighted neon lights in the life of Peter. 
I, I think it's hard for us to really understand, especially for those of us who've been followers of Jesus for a while, it's hard to get back, go back in time, and to put ourselves what it would be like to be Peter. To have left everyone, uh, left your career, left your family to travel with Jesus. You've gone with him. You, you, in your mind, you're ready to die for him. When he says that, that, that he can't follow, you've, you've, like, you've stood up and said, I don't care about anyone else, but, but I will follow you. I'm willing to die for you. I, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And then to have this incredible failure within 24 hours. I mean, can you imagine just a sense of shame? Like you've seen yourself as the leader of the 12 and, and you have just blown it so incredibly big. Like you, you kind of feel like your career is over. Like how does anyone bounce back from that? One of the things I, I love in this gospel, uh, I, I love just tracing the story of Peter. And I don't know if you remember this, but the very first time we met Peter was way back in chapter one. And so uh, we were down with John the Baptist in the south of the country. And, uh, and, and Peter's brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And so they had this opportunity to spend the evening with Jesus. And he's so excited. He goes to find Peter the next day. You gotta meet this guy. He's, I, I think he's the Messiah. And so when Peter comes, Jesus meets him. And the very first time he meets him, this is what he says there in your note sheet. He says, Jesus looked at him and he said, you are, notice how he addresses him. You are Simon, son of John. We started in chapter one, we ended in chapter 21. Both with formal conversations between Jesus and Peter. He says, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which of course means rock. And so the first time he meets him, he says, Peter, I know you. I know your family. I, I, I know who your father is. I know what people call you. But can I tell you that one day you're gonna go by a different name. You're gonna go by the name Cephas or Peter, rock. And what's amazing is if, we, if you know anything about Peter, we've seen it in the last few weeks, that at this point in his life when Jesus told him that, he was anything but a rock. Like Peter had great highs and great lows, but he's not the person you build on. He's very unpredictable. But what we see today is that Jesus never lost his vision for, G for Peter's life. From the very beginning to the very end, he knew his true name. He knew what he was calling Peter to be. And, and today, what we're watching is we're watching as Jesus is pursuing Peter, not to hurt him, but to heal him. And as a result of this conversation, I mean, he wants Peter to know that yes, you fail, but this failure isn't final. It's one thing to commission him before the failure. It's another to commission him after the failure. And as Peter is sitting there or walking with Jesus and wondering 
about how this is going to go, Jesus begins to recommission him before they've even talked about what happened, before he's even brought that up. And as a result of this moment with this conversation with Jesus, as a result of the coming of the Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit's going to come within a month on the day of Pentecost, that Peter is going to be transformed, and he's going to become everything that Jesus said he was going to be. He's going to become the rock. He's going to become the man that will help lead the church of Jesus. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, the day the Holy Spirit comes, it's Peter that gets up in the same place, Jerusalem, where Jesus had been arrested less than two months before and boldly proclaims the name of Jesus. It's in that same city that when he's arrested shortly after and warned you can't speak in the name of Jesus, he's going to be the one that says, uh, hey, you'll have to decide whether it's right to obey God or men, but we can't stop talking. All right? He's going he's to be the one in chapter 10 and 11 that, that the Holy Spirit uses to bring the Gentiles into the movement of Jesus. He, he's going to become this incredible shepherd of the early church. In fact, near the end of his life, he'll write there on your note sheet, and he'll be challenging some other under-shepherds that he's shepherding of the church. And he's challenging these church leaders that he's leading. He says, he uses the same language Jesus used with him. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. Watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest game, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, of course, the good shepherd, Jesus then you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so, and so he, in spite of this failure, Jesus lifts him up, kind of restores him, recommissions him, and he goes on to be this amazing shepherd of the early church. But catch this, even more than that is this cryptic prophecy that Jesus speaks at the time. Like, I, I don't know if at the time either Peter or John had a clue what Jesus was talking about. It was sort of like reading a prophecy about Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. Like, like, what does that mean, right? Now, from John's perspective, now as an old man, he can look back and it, like, makes perfect sense, whether he understood this at the time. But, I, but you remember what Jesus said? He said, when you were young, you'd go where you, where you want, you'd dress yourself, but when you get old, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. You'll be stretched out. We know from first century history that being stretched out was sometimes used to be a description of crucifixion. And this seems to be what Jesus was referring to. Um, you may remember that a few weeks ago when we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus, how the, the condemned prisoner would be forced to carry the, the large crossbeam, the patibulum, that would weigh 75 to 125 pounds on the shoulder to the place of execution. And then once they would arrive there, they would put the patibulum on the ground and the, the prisoner would be forced to lay down on the ground and stretch out on the patibulum while they would attach his hands or wrists to the, to the crossbeam with, uh, with either nails or with ropes before they would hoist him up to, to set him on the vertical crossbeam that was already, a vertical uh, beam that was already secure in the ground. And so what I want you to catch this is that Jesus, in that conversation, he's taking Peter back to the past 
and making him face the past by, by, by asking this question, do you love me three times? But then, but then he's taking him to the future. And what he's really telling Peter is that you may have failed me in the past, but you will not fail me in the future. You will follow me. In fact, you will literally follow me to the cross. And in 64 AD, under the Roman Emperor Caesar, Peter was arrested and put on a Roman cross and would give his life for Jesus. And according to some church history that was, it's kind of later, so we don't know if it's legend or not. The, the one I just mentioned is pretty solid. But according to some later, later church tradition that when he was crucified, Peter said, if you're gonna crucify me, can you do it upside down? Because I don't deserve to be crucified like my Lord. And we, we don't know for sure if that's legend, but we do know this, that the Romans would sometimes crucify people upside down. And so on this day, by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is gonna take Peter back, not to hurt him, but to heal him. And to let him know that his failure isn't final. And so before we move on to the second, second principle that's tied closely to this first, I wanna ask you something. Uh, is there any failure in your life that's holding you to your past? Something that you've done or has been done to you that just feels so big that you can't move into your future. It's, it's too big for Jesus to overlook. It's too big for him to overcome. And what I want you to catch is that his, he never loses his vision for your life. That Jesus alone knows your true name, who you are called to be. And he, he wants to come to us, have that conversation. So there's nothing in our past. It doesn't matter what you've done. What, what is it? Is it the abortions that you've had? Is it the rape that you've experienced? Is it the duplicity? Is it the affair you had? Is it the family that you ruined? Is it the business partner that you committed fraud against? Like, what is it? What is it in your past that, that the enemy often comes and says, this is too big for you to be used again? You can come, you can sit in the back row, but just don't let anyone know your true story because this is too big a failure. And I think from today we learn that the way of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, the failure isn't final. But in order to move into our future, we have to take a very important step. And that leads to the next principle. And that to move into our future, we have to face our past. 
I think that's what we see in this conversation between Peter and Jesus, that Jesus, Jesus knew this. In order for Peter to move into his future, that, that he can't pretend it didn't happen. They can't pretend. We, we have to face it. We have to face it in the presence of Jesus before we can move forward. Um, we've seen this throughout this gospel. You know, we, we saw with the, the Samaritan woman and Jesus coming. He doesn't care where she's come from, her, her sordid past. He, he just wants to give her a new life or a new future. But at the point where she begins to say, yes, I want it, do you remember what he does? He says, go and get your husband. So I can talk to both of you about this, living water. And you remember how she tries to evade the truth. She says, yeah, I don't have a husband. And and watch how Jesus just gently brings the truth into their conversation. Yes, that's true. Actually, you've been married five times and the man you're living with isn't really your husband. And how did that impact her? She runs back in the town, and now she knows his offer of living water isn't contingent on her past. He's offering her this new life in spite of her past. And so when she goes back in the town, she boldly says, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. She no longer has to hide from her past. Her past. Her past becomes part of her restoration story of Jesus. Of what Jesus can do in a life. She no longer has to be ashamed. Her past has been redeemed. We saw this with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. That Jesus sent away her condemners. Where are those who condemn you? There are no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. But then what does he say? Go and sin no more. We couldn't pretend that what she had done was right. We have to face it. It is sin. I'm calling you to a new life. Let's call, call sin by its true name. But I want you to know there's a future for you if you'll leave it behind. You know, early in this gospel, John started in chapter one by introducing us to Jesus. And he made this, these incredible claims in that intro, as you remember. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Without him, nothing was made, not once he's a creator of creation. And then there in your note sheet, we got down to verse 14. He says, he tells us more about this word who is with God and was God, the creator God. He says, the word became flesh. He came into human history and he made his dwelling amongst us. Remember, he tabernacled amongst us. And just like when when Israel built the tabernacle for God to dwell in in the Old Testament, the glory of God came and filled it. So John says that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father and he was full of two things. What was he full of? Grace and truth. And we've seen it all through this gospel. We see, it with the, we see it with the woman at the well. The grace, living water, the truth. You've been married five times. 
with a woman caught in act of adultery, grace, neither do I condemn you. Truth, go and sin no more. Well, we see it today in the life of Peter. This is what this conversation was about. That Jesus, the word, was full of grace for Peter. Notice how gentle he is with him. He doesn't say, hey, I told you so. He doesn't say, like, hey, Peter, how you feeling? It's pretty low. Like, in the most gentle way possible, he brings up the topic by asking three times, do you love me? And that third one, it, it all comes together for Peter. Oh, I, I get it, where this conversation's going. And it hurt. But again, it hurt. Jesus heard him to heal him. Peter, you, you can't move into your future. And you know, men and women, when we have failure in our life, we can't move into our future by ignoring our past. We, we can't move in the future by pretending it never happened or by minimizing it. It wasn't that bad. Or by excusing it. Everyone does it. I'm not the only one. By defending it. Well, if you know this circumstances, by blaming others. Well, if you know what she did. We can never move into the future until we're radically honest about our past. But we have to be radically honest in the presence of Jesus. This is what like, confession of sin is all about. It's about bringing it into the presence of Jesus because only there in his presence can we experience the grace and the recommissioning of our life. Go and move into the future that I had for you all along. You know, often we talk with new Christians, new believers, and we, one of the things we tell them is that, hey, in your new relationship with Jesus, it's important when you sin to co confess your sins because sins kind of get in the way. They mess up our relationship with God. Of course, all is true and all, but we forget the why. It can become like this religious ritual. I confessed all my sins today. Check the box. But it's not about that. It's about relationship. This is how real relationship works, that when we screw up, that we have to come back then we have to bring it into the presence of Jesus and there and there alone can we receive the grace and the forgiveness and the recommissioning. I still believe in your future that we need to hear to move with confidence into our future and to leave the past behind. And so as we come to the end of this gospel, the question I have, is there, is there anything in your past? Is there any failures in your past that are holding you from moving into the future that Jesus has for you, that he's always had for you, that, that are, are stopping you from growing into your true name, what you're created to be? And if, if there are, then I just encourage you to bring him into the presence of Jesus and learn to make this part of our every, it's our, our regular relationship. We don't, we don't hide from him. When we fail, we don't hide from him, we run to him. And there with our failure, we receive his grace, but we also receive the recommission to, as he speaks over our life and he says, Move in that future, get back on track. He recommissions us into his calling in our life. Amen? Let's pray together.
So Lord, we come today, just such a beautiful account of your encounter with Peter. And uh, whenever I read these accounts now, Lord, I just, I see you there with the nail prints in your hands. As you motion, as you gesture, we're, we're seeing those, Peter's seeing those. It's a, a reminder of the cross, what you went through so that we can be forgiven. What you went through so we can receive grace. What you went through so we can move into that future. And so Lord, we pray as we come today at the end of this long journey in John, we pray that, that you would draw us to yourself and we have a fresh experience of your grace and of your truth. And that we would step into that truth and own, own whatever it is that we're doing or have done. And then we can move with you into that new future. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.